Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. Welcome to Media Masters, a series of one-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Today I'm joined by Nikki Cox, MBE, editor of First News. Nikki began her media career with the Croydon Advertiser before joining BBC Worldwide. She founded First News in 2006 to realise her childhood dream, a newspaper aimed at young people. First News is now the widest read children's newspaper, with two million weekly readers and over half of all UK schools subscribed. They've won numerous awards, including Best National Weekly Newspaper of the Year. Nikki, thank you for joining me. Thanks for asking me, Paul. So, Nikki, First News has been a huge success. Tell us how it came into being. How did it come about? It came about in 2006 because it had always been a dream of mine since I was probably 15, I think, at school, struggling to read the Telegraph in the uh, in the classroom and thinking, why is there not a newspaper for children? So I vowed at that point to become a journalist and launch my own newspaper for children if there hadn't been one done by then. Because I remember when I was a kid and, and Shep was a pup and all of that, there was the early times, wasn't there, back in, are we talking like 30 years ago or something? Yeah, do you know I was also the editor of that? I did not know that. Right? <laughs> well, there you go. So that was the first incarnation absolutely, of your dream, was absolutely. it? Absolutely, so that was my practice. Um, that was a great newspaper as well. Well, after, yeah, I was at the, I was at the Croydon Advertiser and again, I'd started launching um, news for children, even within local papers, because I couldn't understand why with children being part of the population, being part of the local population, we featured schools a lot, but we didn't do anything actually written for children. So I did have a, a, a page in um, in the Croydon Advertiser for Kids. It was called Nikki and the Newshounds. And we had children uh, writing in and giving us their news. And um, Cheap labour as well, I'd absolutely. imagine. Absolutely. And I was still thinking, I do want to do a newspaper just for children. And then in the UK Press Gazette, there was this tiny little advert asking for an editor for a new national children's newspaper. And I was like, oh, my goodness, because I was about to go and try and get one going myself. And it was a guy called Dr. Barry Waitman who had invented the artificial hip. So he'd got a bit of money and he'd got three children himself. And like me, had been thinking, there's not a newspaper for children. So we went off to Brighton and we launched Early Times. I love that paper. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, we did a lot of the same kind of things as uh, we do with First News now. I remember going to interview Margaret Thatcher with some children and Neil Kinnock and Paddy Ashdown, you know, who were the leaders of the parties at the time. So, uh, yeah, interesting times. How long did Early Times last for? Uh, It lasted... About six years. I stayed with it, I think, for two years. Uh, The interesting story about the early times was after we launched it, um, I got a call from the Times newspaper saying, you're plagiarising, you're using using our name, you have no licence fee, you can't do this, you have to stop publishing. That's so nice of them. That was, Yeah, I was a little disappointed. So I I ended up going up to um, News International, up to Wapping, And sitting there, I remember in a little blue dress with about five guys in suits saying, what are you doing? You can't do this. And I said, oh, it's disappointing. I'd hoped you might quite like it. And uh, and I said, what do you think of the paper? And they said, actually, it's really good. And I said, so do you not think that possibly early times readers might grow up to buy the times? They might think they might make the association with the name and maybe that's a good thing for your brand by the end of the meeting. They went... Okay, all right, keep publishing and we'll do all we can to support you. You can use all of our reporters, you can use our photos. Um, if you're going to use That's our name... That's quite a turnaround. Yeah, so wow. they said if you're going to use our name, you, uh, you, know, you need to use our resources as well. So actually it ended up being really good. And then not long after that, um, a guy called Nicholas Brett, who was the features editor of The Times, 
ended up going to the BBC to be editor of the Radio Times. And he called me up at early times, where we were kind of beginning to run out of money, to be honest, and said, look, uh, we want to launch a junior version of the Radio Times. Will you come and do it for us? So um, I went. It was a hard decision because I was really... um, interested in news it was news I wanted to do but I, I kind of knew that early times was didn't really have the resources necessary to turn it into a kind of a really big national sensation that I wanted it to be. And how did it work out at uh, BBC Worldwide? Great I mean I was there for 13 years I mean not only did I launch a junior version of the Radio Times which was called Fast Forward um, I can remember looking, which was the junior version of yeah, the TV Times. Exactly, exactly. And that was the only thing that existed, which is why the BBC had looked at that and thought, mm, we need our own. So that's what I was I was employed to do. But I ended up being there for 13 years. And I think at last count, as I was leaving, I launched 52 magazines for the BBC. So we we, we really kind of invented the whole children's magazine market. As you say, before that, there was looking, which was more of a comic, really. There's a lot of comic strips in it. And smash it. I, was I had a letter published in Looking when Did I was you? about eight years old. Yes, that was, oh. this was my first time I was ever published. Great, well done you. Yeah, it was. It was a real thrill. <laughs> and smash it was, I think, the only other thing at the time, which at that point was just posters and song words. It wasn't really a magazine. So we really, um, at the BBC, launched the whole kind of children's magazine market, really. And where does your interest come from in terms of like um, your work journalistically appealing and having that outreach directly to children? Do you know, I don't know. I know I knew you were going to ask me that, so I was thinking about that on the way here. I really don't know. It must be just be something that's in, in me. I really can't answer that question, but it's a complete passion of mine and it always has been. Say so right back to the days at the Croydon Advertiser when I, you know, I was there at 18, I, I joined as an apprentice. Um, and even then it was, we need to do news for children. I don't know where it came from. And, but it burns in me, burns in me passionately. And, you know, it's not even just about giving children news, which I think is so important, but also giving them a platform and giving them a voice as well. When I was young, the only journalism that I can remember that was specifically, you know, was was aimed at me was the BBC's news round. I can remember mm. John Craven reading the news, and and actually it was it was the same news as the adults, and but they had more explainers, which I think even now, if you watch the the standard news at ten, they've kind of copied that format because you know knowing the story behind the story and how we've got to where we are, the context of it is actually incredibly important. Not a lot of adults know that, never mind children. Yeah, and I hear all the time that we have parents who read First News with their children, particularly mums who say they don't have the time to read a daily newspaper. So they read First News when it comes out on a Friday. Um, and grandparents too. We have a lot of um, grandparents who like it because it's succinct. We don't go into too much detail. We're not too wordy, but we do explain the background. We do put things in context. And it's it's a really good discipline, actually, because you you really do break it down to the things that really matter. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's not really just read by children. So could you break down the kind of levers that you operate when, you, when you're when turning a, a national news story into, into something that can be digested for children? I mean, is there a, an editorial judgment in terms of what you will cover and what you won't? And then if you have decided to put it in the newspaper, how do you cover it differently when it's going to be read by children? Is there a certain kind of way that you approach the writing of it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we cover pretty much everything. I, I can't really think of anything that we haven't covered or wouldn't cover because my feeling is that if it's in the news and they're hearing about it, then they deserve to have it explained to them in a way that they can understand. Uh, so we give the facts. We're always completely accurate with the facts. We don't 
skirt around the issues. We clearly don't go into graphic details, uh, particularly with frightening stories, and we don't publish graphic photographs. But we will be completely honest about what happened and how it happened and why it happened. And we always explain the background. We assume that they may not know the background. And we always, too, offer bags of reassurance. So, for example, in the recent attack at Manchester, we explain who IS are, what their ideology is, and why they're trying to hurt people. But then we also give most of the space over to the reasons why you shouldn't worry. Um, we we talked about, uh, when we in our coverage of, of the Manchester attack, we covered the fact that terrorism is not new, because I think for children they may be thinking that you know, we're living in dangerous times and the world's in a mess. Um, and we say, look, terrorism has always been with us. If you go back to 1605, we had Guy Fawkes trying to blow up the Houses of Parliament. Now celebrated. And now celebrated, year. you know, um, yeah, with, with, with great fun and, you know, and, and games on uh, November the 5th. And also Queen Victoria, there were numerous assassination attempts on Queen Victoria during her 63-year reign. I did not know that. Seven. Seven assassination attempts. Wow. The IRA, you know, we lived with for 30 years with, with bombing happening on the UK mainland all the time. So what we say to children, this is nothing new. You're not living in an era where the world is any more dangerous than it has ever been. And the chances of being caught up in a terrorist attack is so small that you can't even calculate the risk. So we try and really put that in perspective and I think it reassures a lot of adults too because we're all feeling jittery you know when you hear about you know the terrorist threat is severe or um, critical we all feel jittery and yet the reality is that we're going to be in more danger crossing the road reminds me at the end of Crime Watch when Nick Ross used to say you do sleep well don't have nightmares and then I think he stopped doing it for a few episodes because he thought it was a bit cliche and hundreds of people wrote into the BBC saying you've got to have him say it again I think that reassurance is incredibly important uh, in a, you know, for adults as well as for kids Absolutely, we all need reminding because you know the point is with news that things are in the news because they're rare things that happen every day don't make the news and you say you know for example I mean this is this is a horrible statistic but 200 children are killed or seriously injured on the roads every month. But because it's happening every day, it doesn't get in the papers. You know, so again, that's far more risky than being, you know, the, the likelihood of being involved in a, in a terrorist attack. So, you know, we use things like this to be able to say to children, look, the important thing is that you take care every day in your own lives. You know, put your mobile phone down when you're crossing the road. So, um, yeah, we, we can use things, uh, you know, horrible things in the news as an opportunity to talk to kids about their, their own lives. Do you have a typical reader that you, you aim the, the newspaper at tonally? So, for example, uh, you know, First News is the, the only available newspaper for kids, so you've got to cater for all different types of kids, whereas if you were an adult, you'd have everything from The Sun, The Daily Star, The Times, The Guardian, The Telegraph and so on. Is there a kind of editorial tone that you aim for? I mean, when, you, when you're uh, picturing an average reader of your newspaper, who is it? I envisage kind of top end of primary, lower end of secondary school. So kind of a 12-year-old um, is in my head. So it's like, would I, you know, how would I explain this to a 12-year-old? But we have readers that are as young as seven and we have readers who are 15 and we have readers who are 80. So, I was say, I'm um, 42. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, um, I mean, they say the reading age of the sun is only six so um, in terms of vocabulary it uses. So, you know, really at any age you can come into it. But yeah, we, we, we kind of think of a, 
of a 12-year-old. Could you just talk through our listeners in terms of what would be in a typical edition, how you'd approach it, what are the ingredients? I mean, the main ingredient is that we always have a balance of positive and negative stories. Um, Again, because most of the news that makes the wider media is negative, uh, it just is, Um, bad news seems to sell, we have to cover that. But we also make sure that we really balance that with a lot of the good things that are going on in the world. I always want children to finish reading First News thinking the world's an okay place. Because actually there's a lot more good things going on than bad, but they just don't get reported. So we look for those stories that are going to be uplifting and are going to be empowering to kids. So we have the news, we have the normal news pages, um, but we also have like a science page and we have entertainment pages and sports pages. I mean, all the things that you would expect to find any other national newspaper. And presumably the advertisers want to get on the radar of children. So do do you find that the advertisers are predominantly kind of... um, toy or sweets heavy confectionery heavy how does it work no because we don't take any confectionery advertising i don't think we can by law anyway but we we wouldn't anyhow um you know if we're going to be running editorial for children saying think before you drink do you know how many teaspoons of sugar there is in a can of coke we can't then have an advert next to it advertising coke so um we're really careful with the type of advertising that we take um it tends to be Things like book publishing or um, a lot of charity advertising, um, sports things, events, festivals, family festivals, that kind of thing. And how do how do your readers buy the newspaper? Do they subscribe? Is it posted to them? I've seen it on the newsstand at Tesco's and in WH Smith mm. and so on. Is that the main way that people get, get hold of it? Uh, yes, yeah, some of the copies are on the newsstand. Um, the greater majority subscribe, which is which is really nice for us. So they get it through their letterbox. Yep. And I think for kids, it's great because it's something that arrives for them. I I remember being young and if you actually got a letter, it was like, you know, the highlight of your week. So I think when first news comes through the the letterbox on a Friday, addressed to the child, I think it's met with with great excitement. And then about half the schools in the UK subscribe as well. So lots of children read it at school too. So the the, the copies of it are in the, the school library and that's how it's read there. Yeah. And some schools, um, you know, they have one, one copy in each classroom. One school or a few schools subscribe for every single child. They think it's so important that their, their, their children know about what's going on in the world. And it's a really part of uh, their education that they, they have a copy for every child. And, and given your unique audience, as it were, has that helped that you're still a, a paper-based newspaper? Or is there a move uh, and a pressure to move to online and social media just like any other newspaper? Um, interestingly, the print edition is still leading the way. I mean, we have an app version too, um, but we have far more um, subscribers to the printed edition. We have launched, I mean, the, the only thing that kind of, for me as a journalist, holds me back is it being weekly, you know, and, and it's such a fast moving world now, you know, where, you know, if something happens and everyone knows about it within five minutes. Um, we realise that we need to be more current. So we do have our own news channel now online. So it's the world's first online news channel for children um, called First News Live. And that's at live.firstnews.co.uk. And we have daily news bulletins there that we do with Sky News um, because clearly I don't have film crews in 140 countries around the world like they do. So they've been great and they really help me out. So we um, we work with them and they give us all their resources. That's fantastic. Um, which is great. And also we have formed First News Productions, a film crew um, of all former BBC colleagues of mine. I have two former news round editors 
a newsround presenter, various panorama reporters. And we're filming all the time uh, around the world. I have a crew right now in the US filming um, a little boy called Christopher, who is America's youngest gun control campaigner after his brother was shot dead, uh, got caught in some crossfire. And Christopher, he's only nine, is campaigning um, for gun control in in the US. It is right. So that's um, an actually a documentary that we're filming for the BBC. So it's not even that we're making stuff just for First News Live now. We're actually being commissioned because we have such a fantastic team to make um, documentaries for other people. So it's becoming a kind of global media behemoth brand, just like all the others. Yeah, and, unique, and uniquely that our presenters are children. You know, um, the film that we're making in the US, the presenters are kids. You know, and why not? You know, it's it's an issue that children care about, children are campaigning about. And this generation are growing up in front of a camera. You know, they're constantly taking selfies. They're constantly making videos. So am I. So, yeah, as, as, as we all are. But they are so comfortable in front of a camera that they do a fantastic job. And, you know, when you hear nine-year-old Christopher talking about his brother being shot dead, I tell you, it hits you home a lot more than it being an adult journalist. Not only that, it, it hits you more if he's, like you said, filming himself yeah. saying it rather than... Because, I mean, it would be impactful enough him writing it. But, yeah. but to camera, I imagine it would be even more uh, eye-catching and devastating. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, um, being in the midst of the election, we've we've launched um, party political broadcasts by the Children's Party. So we have a number of those children sending in their own. We've, we've filmed some professionally as well, but children are now sending in their own. And they're fantastic. I mean, gosh, if I could vote for the Jordans party, I would. It's it's an incredible story. In fact, we, we've kind of got sidetracked from my original question as, as in terms of how it came into being. Because there's so many interesting things to talk about, we're actually about the newspaper itself. But you, you were at BBC Worldwide for, what, 12 years? 13, I 13 think. Years. I hate saying 13 because it feels unlucky, so I normally say 14, <laughs> but I think it was actually 13. Well, it sounds like it wasn't unlucky at all because <laughs> it's moved on to this. Tell us how the newspaper came into being, though, because wasn't Piers Morgan involved in the launch of it? Yeah, I mean, I I had always wanted to do early times all over again and to do it now with the knowledge that I'd picked up by publishing children's magazines and books which I'd done at the BBC now for 14 years so I kind of thought right now I know what I'm doing so I really um, was keen to launch it I went to see News International again reminded them of the early times story and said look I want to do this again and and, and James Harding was the um, editor at the time and we, we met and he was really keen and they looked at it and they did number crunching because my idea at the time had been that we should perhaps do um, a new version of uh, of the early times or, or young times, whatever we called it, as a freebie newspaper to go out with maybe the times on a Saturday. Great um, idea. So that was a the, bit that, like the fun day times was. Yeah, it? I mean, it was more cartoon based. Wasn't yeah, it, but a proper proper yeah. newspaper, you know. And uh, and they they looked at it for a couple of weeks, and the number crunched, and their advertising team looked at it, and they said, "Look, we just can't make the numbers work, but we'd love you to come and join us." Um, and join our team and launch a young version of the Times online for us. And I said, nah, you know, I want to do a real paper. You know, kids deserve a real paper. So James was fantastic and he said, look, off you go. We'll give you all the support we can and good luck. So um, I happened to be um, at my cousin's for Sunday lunch and she had been very lucky uh, in the dot-com era and worked very hard and had made many millions and I was talking to her about my meetings at the Times. And, if you, you could know, just give me her contact details, yeah, absolutely. I'd be very grateful after and, the podcast. Uh, and said, you know, I really want to do this newspaper for children. And uh, she said, OK. And her, her nine-year-old son, Josh, was sitting there. And she said, Josh, what do you think about a newspaper for kids? Would you read one? 
And he went, what, like a real one that you can hold? And she said, yeah, yeah, a real newspaper. And he went, yeah, yeah, I'd read that. And she said, do you think your friends would? He went, yeah, definitely. So she said, okay, let's do it. And honestly, it was as simple as that. And uh, peers, a focus I, group of one. Focus group <laughs> of one and my own children at the time. They were aged between five and 12. I had four aged between five and 12. And peers also had children around the same age. And I knew Piers from all my time at the BBC. We had a real love-hate relationship, Piers and I. Um, Doesn't he have that relationship with everyone? He does, yeah. I think I, was, I think I began it. But I used to call him Piers Moron in Top of the Pops magazine, which I'd launched at the BBC, because he was always, uh, at the time, I think he was at The Sun doing the bizarre pages. Yeah, I think Private Eye might have nicked that from you. Yeah, and he was always kind of slagging off pop bands that we were promoting, you know, that you know we were being positive about. Um, so I used to call him Piers Moron uh, in in Top of the Pops magazine, and he used to call me the pouting Nicky Smith, which was my name before. So we knew each other. And uh, when I wanted to launch um, First News, he'd just lost his job at the Mirror um, for reasons we don't need to go into. I think everybody knows. Everyone knows. <laughs> so uh, I uh, emailed him and said, Piers, I'm about to launch a national newspaper, and I hear that you're in need of a job. Uh, would you like to get involved? And he emailed me back and said, are you crazy? He said, you're either completely bonkers or you've suddenly become very rich um, to take on the likes of Rothermere and uh, and Murdoch. He said, but anyway, let's talk about it. If you can get lunch in the Ivy on Tuesday, uh, I'll see you there. And he said, don't use my name, I'll check. So anyway, I contacted the Ivy, booked lunch for 2.30, to which he replied, that's not lunch, that's tea. I think he's entirely right. I would have backed out at this stage. Yeah, well, I couldn't get it any earlier. Anyway, he came, he walked in, he said, it's the kids' newspaper, right? And I said, yeah, of course, it's me. So he said, great idea, let's do it. And honestly, within, I think, eight weeks, we were on sale. Wow. So what was his involvement then? A very little, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I knew that Piers was uh, media fodder um, and that his involvement would give us um, PR at launch. And he did all that. He sat on the This Morning Sofa and all of that kind of thing. What was his official title at this point when he was sitting on the This Morning Sofa? He called himself Editorial Overlord, you know, in only the way that peers could do. Absolutely. Um, And so he was a little bit involved at the beginning. Uh, I used to talk to him about the front page because he was great at headlines. I mean, he is great at headlines. I have to give him that. He's a good journalist, um, in he's fairness. A, he's a fantastic journalist, you know. And I actually like Piers. Yeah, I, I did. Obviously, I do. You know, I said we have a love-hate. It's more love than hate. I don't agree with everything he says. And sometimes you sit watching him on This Morning now and cringe at some of the things he does. I don't agree with everything my wife says. I don't but, agree with half the things I say, frankly. So, but you, <laughs> you know, know he's perfect. He is what, you know, he is what you see. And people that say to me, what's he really like? And I said, he's really like that. I've met him a few times, actually, at various events and so on, and he is. He's exactly the same as you see. And so he was, was, you know, involved at the beginning and and very supportive. Um, We launched at um, Downing Street, you know, because he was big mates with Gordon Brown. And, you know, so he was really, really helpful. But very soon after that, he got his gig in America and off he went. And that was kind of the last we saw of him, really. Uh, We're still friends and, you know, when I need a bit of a help with something that we're trying to push in the paper, you know, he... He uh, helps and, and backs it, so it's good. So tell us about those initial weeks then. Obviously, Piers had, had gone to uh, America, but what was in the paper then that's still in now? What worked and what did he quickly jettison? What was that initial period like? Do you know it isn't that different? And sometimes I look at it and think, really, should we be changing it up a bit? But it, we well, kind if it of, ain't broke, don't fix it. No, it kind of... I mean, it's 
It was a little bit more tabloid in style, I would say, in terms of design at the beginning. Um, it was a bit more garish. It's kind of settled down now. It's kind of found itself because, to be honest, when we first launched, I didn't have half the schools in the UK subscribing. I didn't really know. We hadn't done any market research at all. This was based on my experience with early times and my experience of working um, at the BBC and knowing children's magazines like the back of my hand. It's a bit like that Kevin Costner film, isn't it? Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. You just have to put it out there to see what the demand is. Yeah, exactly. And I think, was it um, Steve Jobs always used to say, didn't he, like launching the iPhone and the iPad and everything, you can't ask people what they want because they don't know until they see it. So it was kind of the same thing, really. Henry Ford once famously said, if you'd have asked customers what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That's a very good quote. I sure remember that. So we we just launched it and with pretty much very, very similar kind of content to now, you know, the same ideas as pages that, that children can get involved with and write. Uh, we we had um, a health page, I think, that kind of went, um, not because health stories aren't of interest, but we didn't really feel, sometimes we were kind of scrabbling around to find a good appropriate health story each week and so we cover it within the normal news pages rather than having a specific page but other than that you know that's not really that different what's the ratio in the paper in terms of stories that would be in an adult newspaper that you're covering specifically uh, to, to make accessible for children and then stories that are unique to that newspaper that, that wouldn't you wouldn't find in any other newspaper that are specifically and directly aimed at children i think 90 percent of what's in the news generally but what we do probably is give stories that might have, you know, a tiny little nib on page 28. Yeah, it might be a page lead for us because it's about a child who's, you know, swum with sharks to raise money for, you know, something or something that's positive about kids. So um, it's the, really the balance of how we treat the stories rather than them being particularly different. So what makes a great story for the newspaper? Oh, golly, so many things. Kids do love animals. I mean, it's it's been really interesting because we're running um, the junior general election right now. In fact, we've just closed the poll. But I was going to say animals is something that just comes up because as well as when we did our when we, we were doing the junior general election, we've asked them who they want to vote for. But we've also got them to say what are the issues they care about the most. And animals is up there. I mean, it wasn't as high as I thought, to be honest. I can tell you exactly in order what the things are that are on the minds of the, the young electorate yes, or please. The, the pre-electorate. So number one, by a mile, things they care about the most is Brexit. Um, wow. Really, I honestly did not expect you to say really that. Really? Massively so. I mean, head and shoulders above any other issue. And presumably, given the way that the, the demographic goes, the younger people are, the, the, the greater the tendency to vote remain. Mm-hmm. Are, are kids huge remainers? Huge remainers. We did the... Um, junior eu referendum as well when was it last year um yeah we did the junior referendum and it was 71 percent of children wanted to remain we did we, we went huge on it we did a big debate in uh, the house of parliament in in, uh, in fact in speaker's house um with people speaking on both heart, both sides we had 20 schools involved uh, we did a huge poll in the paper and yeah 71 percent of children were were very keen to remain in the eu um so that's number one by a mile that they're concerned about they keep hearing in the news, you see, I, I guess, that, you know, old people have stolen their future in Europe. So I think it's something that they've kind of listened and, and heard and are concerned about. Secondly, this one surprised me. Second issue on the minds of the, our young people is affordable housing. Wow. Which astonished me that they are 
really concerned about that already. Again, because you see the skew in headlines in, in like the Daily Mail when it says, oh, great news, house prices have increased again. Actually, that's that's only great news if you're already on the property Absolutely. ladder because it means you're going to yeah. make more money. If you're not on the property ladder, if you're trying to get on that first rung, mm. then that, that first rung has just got even further out of reach. Exactly. And so, again, all that young people are hearing is, you know, how are our children ever going to get on the property ladder? So... But I didn't realise that they were really internalising that because that was number two in their concerns. Number three is the environment, really concerned about the environment. I would and, have put and that at number one, so I'm, I'm learning as well. Um, and pollution particularly, really concerned about pollution and climate change. Um, number four, the National Health Service, which also surprised me that that came so high. Um, really worried about the health and the f- access to free health care. Um, fifth education which I'd put that I'd put that higher me too so I can only conclude from that that they're quite happy in their schools that they think the education they're getting is quite good they don't see a big problem with it but that didn't come higher and sixth back to the animals animals was there was their next thing so when you say animals do you mean animal welfare yeah cruelty to animals um farming methods uh, endangered animals are they they uh, concerned about conservation Animals losing their habitat. So anything really to do with animals is always a big, big thing with kids. What doesn't go down so well? Are there any particular topics that you know that, that aren't going to engender a lot of interest and therefore you'd be less likely to cover them? I, I, th- I think you can find an interesting angle for most stories. And I don't think that there's anything specifically that we wouldn't cover. We used to have a column called Boring But Important, but we found that difficult to fill in the end because sometimes you... you you kind of felt you were offending people by saying something was boring. But we kind of we do have a column in the paper that in our heads is kind of a bit that, but we don't actually label it that anymore. The week have a column called Boring But Important, but I, 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 I always think it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I guess all kids are different. You know, as you said earlier, you know, if you're a Sun-type reader, you buy the Sun. If you're a male-type reader, you buy the male. If you're a Times-type reader, you buy the Times. So we have all children, so there's kind of something in there for everybody. And we have... Longer features, we have smaller smaller um, bits. We have uh, 20 things you need to know, a whole page of just little tiny stories, um, which is one of the most popular pages in the paper. So we have kind of everything, really. I can't really think of anything that we wouldn't cover. How do you know what works and what doesn't? Because, I mean, beyond the uh, the actual newsstand sales, how do you get that kind of qualitative feedback from your readers in terms of what they like, what they want more of and what they want less of? Well, the readership tend is still going up. Week by week since we launched back in 2006, we sell more every week than the week before. And that's still climbing, which is, you know, an affirmation that we're doing something right. Um, But also we do focus groups. We poll children every single week. We do a poll about something that's in the news. Um, So we get a lot of feedback. I go into schools a lot. I talk to children, um, which is important to really kind of gauge what they're talking about, what's on their minds and what they're already absorbing that's in the news. So we get a lot of direct feedback and of course you know children for the paper can write things so we can see what they're writing about and for first news live online they can send in films we have a whole section we've just launched called what's your story where kids can send in their own video news and when when the young people and the kids send in copy do you have to sub it i mean or do you because you don't want to take the the essential youthful nature of their writing but presumably you correct spelling mistakes and grammar and so on if there are any yeah, we, we we do. I mean, we, we try to keep it as close to, to to what they've written as possible because clearly 
that's the way they wanted to tell their story. But sometimes, you know, they don't obviously have a journalistic style necessarily. And they start on the 24th of May, da, 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 da. you know, you obviously don't start a new story like that. So we would we kind of make the in- intro punchy for them and we kind of help it along a bit. But we don't we don't drastically change it. Do you think that the established newspapers need to do more to engage with 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 young people and children? I mean, clearly the fact that they're not doing enough right now is is a huge opportunity for you guys. But uh, and you know, the Times initially said that to you that they couldn't make the numbers work. Do you think that that's uh, unfortunately the way that all newspapers are going to be that they're just not going to be, have sections aimed at young kids? I think it's probably more difficult for them because they um, obviously have a bigger print runs. I mean, our, our readership is extraordinarily high because of the now amount of copies that go into school but our print run is 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 probably less than not not than all not than not less than all of the papers but less than some of them so i think that issue about advertising page rates and stuff would still be an issue for the national adult papers and you know they have a lot more pages i think it would be more difficult for them but i do think that they should work more closely with us to um engage with kids Definitely. I mean, if I was doing the uh, the marketing and was responsible for the circulation of the national newspapers, I'd want to to kind of have an off ramp for people who graduate from First mm. News as they get to fourteen, fifteen years old. Where do they then tend to go? Is it online to the world of Facebook and Instagram, or do they go to a certain newspaper? Well, I think um, a lot of them do go online, and that is a lost opportunity because we've got you know two point three million children now with a newspaper habit you know, who are used to reading a newspaper. And that's what I mean about I'm surprised in a way that some of the adult nationals haven't engaged with us more to try to encourage our readers to grow into their readers of the future. Because while our sales are going up week by week, we all know that adult newspapers are going down. So... Um, you would think they'd listen to a success story, wouldn't you? You would have thought that they would be interested to look at how they could um, move our readers onto onto their papers. And and do you have any plans to, to try and retain them as long as possible? I mean, could there be a, a slightly older version of First News for the... Because, you know, you get to the sort of 15, 16, 17, in a sense you've then lost them, haven't you? Is mm-hmm. there any way that you think commercially that you could retain them in some way? I don't think there's a big enough gap for an older newspaper because I think at 15, 16, 17... They're pretty educated in the news because they've been reading First News for a number of years and they are well capable of moving on to read an adult paper at that point. But what we are doing um, is First News Live, which I think is the digital version, the daily digital news, and it's much more video than text. And I think that's where we're holding on to them for longer. And what are the differences between First News Live on online and, say, a traditional newspaper? So, for example, I never read the comments anymore now on a traditional newspaper's online version of the article because I know it'll be lots of people just miserably slagging everything off. Yeah. Is there a sense of community? I mean, do you allow comments on it? Is there a sense to, to create and engender a community online? Yeah, we do. Um, and children are far more positive, I have to say. They're not kind of using an opportunity to you know, write horrific, horrible, uh, insulting comments, which like seems a lot to of be, adults do yeah, which yeah. seems to be what happens on uh, on adult sites. But anyway, children don't. They they want to have their voices heard, and they they tend to make more positive comments. Um, we do a lot of films um, for UNICEF, and we just come back from filming um, the famine in Mozambique with them. And the comments from children are completely empathetic, you know, and, you know, we need to help, we need to do more. 
children are lovely. You know, they they feel that they want to help. They want to make the world a better place and they don't understand why, you know, half the world is starving while the other half are overeating. They don't understand and they want to help. So These are all legitimate questions, of course. Yeah, and their comments are always very positive. Um, so, you know, that's why I work with kids and work for kids. Are there any issues in terms of creating a safe space for the children online? How, do, how does that work in terms of moderating the content to make sure that it's safe? Uh, it's a completely walled garden. They can't um, leave once they're there unless they come out. You know, we don't lead them onto anywhere else. Uh, all the videos are on our own server, so they don't they can't click on something and then end up somewhere else. So it's completely safe for them. Um, and before they can comment, they register either through their school or by a parent so that we know who they are. So it's all safe and sound. In terms of you as a media brand then, do you have any plans for it? You've obviously extended the scope of to, to the, the, the online television channel in the UK, but do you have plans to expand it internationally in different languages? There, there are children all over the world, of course. Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. And, you know, it's. I always say that uh, 27% of the world's people are children, but they're 100% of the future. And, you know, in order for the world to become a better place, the next generation needs to be better informed than the last. And that doesn't work if it's just the UK. That has to be global. We need to have cultures and religions understanding each other. And I think the younger that conversation starts, the more hope there is for a more together world. So I Absolutely. Um, you know, my plan now is for world domination with First News. And rightly so. Uh, I, want to, I want to engage children all over the world. It's an incredibly optimistic vision generally, though, isn't it? The whole premise of the newspaper. It is, yes. And, and, it, and it is totally based on the fact that by giving children a sense of the world that they're growing up in, you empower them to grow into global, active citizens that hopefully will... will give us a nicer world than perhaps we're in now, you know, when people are so judgmentally. I want people to celebrate their differences, not judge each other because of them. And I think children are not born. Nobody is born with prejudice. It's something that we learn. So we just need to teach them the opposite. So in, in one sense, do you, do you get the feeling that you are slightly correcting some bad parenting from time to time, that, that, that some young people, some kids are going to be hearing you know, inappropriate things, inappropriate views from their parents and you're, you're presenting that counterbalance? I don't think it's parenting. I think it can come from anywhere and more than anywhere now it's the internet, isn't it? I mean, you know, the amount, even with my own children now, you know, they tell you things and you say, where on earth did you read that? You know, and they've, they've read it on Snapchat or something and it's like, it's not true. And, and they're getting so much misinformation. And, you know, I always say that when we launched First News back in 2006, it was a kind of a nice to have. I thought kids, you know, should have a newspaper to read. I now passionately, passionately believe that it's a must have because there is so much misinformation and fake news around Parents are no longer in control of how their children access information. Well, even adults are uh, fooled by a lot of fake news, yeah. things that look legit. I mean, how, how can children stand any chance? Absolutely. But at least when I was younger, you could be shielded from things. You didn't know about stuff. You couldn't go online and find out about things. So it was it was less easy to get fake information. But nowadays, adults have no chance. There's no way that, that they can keep their children away from fake news. Even if you turn off your TV and you turn off your radio and you don't have newspapers in the house and you've banned the internet, 
They go into school and it's talked about in the playground, it's talked about in the lunch hall. And the danger then is that you're going to get misinformation, you're going to hear something second or third hand. And that's really confusing for young people. It's way better and I think essential that they read First News. I was going to say something like First News, but there isn't anything else like it. Um, So that they really do get a proper, accurate, balanced view of what is real and what's really going on in the world. So just talk us through the operation as it is now in terms of, you know, what's the headcount, where you're based? What's a typical week in terms of the editorial week? You put the, the paper to bed presumably on a Wednesday evening. If it's being if it's delivered on a Friday, it must be posted on the Thursday. So, so when, when do you start again? Do you have kind of Thursday, Friday off? How does it work? When's, when do you get back in and what's the top priority? We actually print on a Tuesday night. It takes two days because we can't afford to distribute it any quicker, which is difficult for me because I would I'd love to have a, a a print deadline that was closer to Friday, but it's still fine. It works, you know. And our and our news is is quite often slightly more retrospective, being weekly anyway. So when are you off stone on Tuesday? Is that like five o'clock or yeah? Right? So 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 we print overnight on Tuesday. Um, and then it distributes Wednesday, Thursday. So some of the subscribers, I think, get it on Thursday and, and in schools and things. Um, but it's in the shops on Friday. So, yeah, so Wednesday, you know, it's uh, the king is dead, long live the king, and off we go with the next one. And So um, t- talk us through a Wednesday then. A Wednesday, we're doing more of the kind of feature content. We're looking at special reports. If we know, for example, that next week is World Water Day, you know, we'll be working on our World Water Day features and things like that that we know are coming up. How big is the um, editorial team in the office? Small, really small. Um, there's only eight journalists, and that's not, that's not even just journalists. We've got six journalists and two designers. Wow. So, so on the Wednesday, so is there like team. an editorial conference then, just like there is on any other newspaper? Uh, we tend to do that on a Monday morning, actually. We kind of look at what's happened over the weekend and that's that's when we we look at the the news that we're going to the news stories as opposed to all the feature the more featurey content that we've already done um where we decide the front page and um and and there's kind of the more topical news pages um so we do that every monday morning and then we spend tuesday kind of writing um tuesday all, manic, all, of, all of monday and tuesday yeah writing and then changing things and you know something happened um and holding off the press for as long as we possibly can. And obviously, you know, the Manchester attack happened on a Monday night. Um, so it was all hands to the deck on Tuesday to, um, you know, when it was a very confused picture still at that point, exactly what had happened. Um, you know, with the uh, deadline breathing down our neck, knowing that we're not coming out till Friday when everybody else is going to know exactly what's happened. So Who it can the bomber be... was and exactly. what the reaction was, so how many people had died and so on. So it's, you know... So it's it, a difficult it editorial challenge. It can sometimes be tricky. Um, it doesn't always happen like that. Fortunately, but um, no. So that's it, really. It's kind of a, a Monday, Tuesday is the really busy, hard news days. Um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're doing the more feature-led content. You don't work on the paper over the weekend, then, because normally, like for example, Sunday journalists often have Sunday yeah. and Monday off. That's their weekend, and then yeah. their Monday is Tuesday. I, I do. I mean, I I, I kind of work on Sundays because I want to on Monday morning really have a sense of of the stories that we'll be looking at. So I, I, I tend to, and also with online, you know, we we keep that topical. So we're still posting things for First News Live um, over the weekends. You, you mentioned global domination, but I'm just, <laughs> if it's not too commercially sensitive, could you share with us some of the next steps? Are you, are you looking to franchise the brand in other countries or have, um, I imagine entrepreneurs from various countries have approached you in terms of partnership working? Yeah, we have had approaches and we... Um, are looking at a number of opportunities as the best way to 
distribute and in what areas. And obviously we have to be conscious that what can be printed in one region of the world may not be appropriate for another for all sorts of religious and cultural reasons. So um, we're just kind of working through that right now. Um, But we have some plans. Well, that sounds very cryptic and mysterious, but I, I know when to stop a certain line of questioning when it gets too brutally commercial. So where do you want, where do you want to take the newspaper itself over the next few years? I mean, like you say, it's been a pretty consistent product ever since you've launched it, but are there any any innovations that you want to try? Is there anything that you're, you've clearly done the, the online thing, but in terms of the, 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 um, the actual printed paper, do you think it will be the same as it is, say, five years from now? I don't know. I mean, it depends. It's it's quite interesting looking at print technology and kind of look at Harry Potter and the moving images. I mean, all that is kind of possible now. I mean, we've we've been looking at some some technology where that's going to be something that you can you can do. You can have moving images in in print already. So we're kind of looking at how things could go um, to make the paper more interactive. But I think really more than anything for me, it's getting you know we've got. 2.3 million children reading I want 4 million children reading it you know it's more about growing the readership I think still and again if that's not too commercially sensitive a question how do you go about doing that is it just about getting attention increasing the number of eyeballs in terms of awareness and turning them and converting them into readers yeah and it's a it's a constant battle and it's really interesting to see really the difference from obviously when we first launched and you'd kind of ring people up and say oh yeah I'm calling you from first news what's that it's a newspaper for children really didn't know there was one did it yeah we've and, got well over two million readers but now you know people ring ring us you know and obviously we ring them and we say we're from first news and they're like oh great you know all my kid reads first news and you know People know about it now, but not everybody still. So it, it, there's still some work to be done on that. I said I'll never rest until it's as well known as, as the Daily Mail. Although I don't know why I say the Daily Mail particularly, but... Um, you don't have a sidebar of shame online, no, do you? Thank no, goodness. no, not at all. But, it, you know, it, I want it to be a household name that everybody it, knows. It's interesting because this podcast is in its third year now and uh, I, I'm quite... We've reached a critical mass of awareness because, you know, in the first year we were pitching to for people, for guests to come on who would just say no. And mm. then, you know... Fast forward two or three years, and now their PR team are pitching them into us. Mm. And you do, I do, you do feel that you've reached a certain critical mass of recognition yeah. when the people who previously turned you down have actually started to say, "Well, do you mind if I come on?" Yeah, no, definitely, and uh, so exactly the same for us. It's like you know, building that for the first million was really hard, and then we seem to go from one million to two point three million really quickly. And now it's like, okay, how do we double again? So that's that's kind of what's occupying our minds now. And is that more of a commercial challenge or an editorial challenge? It's both, you know. I mean, obviously it needs to be a commercial success because if it's not a commercial success it doesn't exist. So it needs to work commercially. But for me it really is such a belief in in children knowing about the world and I I honestly feel that every child that doesn't read it is missing out. And I guess that's a good thing as editor to feel. Um but I really do. And um, we actually had um, an independent study done in, into readership of First News by the National Literacy Trust last year, which came out with so many amazing conclusions, you know, that children that read First News make faster progress at school than other kids. Wow. Um, that they're interested in the news in the world. Uh, they're more likely to read an adult paper. I mean, all sorts of really positive things. Everything that, you know, if I could have written it, I would have written what they came out with, which was fantastic. 
what's been the thing that you've done so far that's been made you the most proud? And also, uh, the flip side of that coin, what's been the most challenging week for you? I think the thing that made me first proud was um, we had a feature um, this is quite early on actually about child soldiers we did a double page feature on child soldiers and we had such serious, a reaction serious depth yeah. type stuff yeah I mean it was you know it was a campaign I think by Save the Children um, and there had been so much um, in the news about it and we did a, a double page about um, the reality of being a child and being a soldier and we had such a reaction from children and from schools from kids saying oh my goodness I had no idea that children my age children at 10 years old were being given guns and were fighting in adult wars um, and were being killed and were killing and they just said you know and I get I get scared playing it in the playground someone's chasing me but someone's not chasing me with a gun what can we do this needs to stop children shouldn't be fighting adult wars so because of this huge outpouring of emotion from children and, and horror from children that this happened, we launched a, a campaign called Conflict Children. And as part of that, we were asked children to sign a letter saying that they wanted the practice of children being used in wars around the world to stop. And I thought, you know, we'll get a f- maybe a few thousand kids will sign this letter. Anyway, 783,000 children wow. signed this letter. That's amazing. And I was like, whoa. So David Miliband at the time, and this is how long ago it was, was foreign secretary. And I said, look, look at this. And he was amazed too. And he then brought forward the foreign officers. They were looking, I think, at, I don't know, they, were, they, they brought forward his review of the, their child soldier policy anyway. So they, they put it at the top of their agenda and they looked at it. And then he took it to the United Nations and there was a special session held at the United Nations. And I was so proud of not me, but of the children. And I could go back to, you know, Jamie in Doncaster and Annie in Milton Keynes and say, look what you did. You signed this letter and this was talked about at the United Nations because of you. It doesn't matter how small you are. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, nine years old in a little village in the north of England, you can make a difference. And that's kind of lived with me ever since, you know, and and has really made me... um, feel that it doesn't matter who you are everyone has the ability to join together and make and make a difference do you feel a sense of mission a kind of overriding sense of purpose about what you're doing because it seems to me to kind of transcend merely being the editor of a newspaper and i don't mean that in a in a disrespectful way but this seems to be such a such a more important endeavor that the the paper is the manifestation of something bigger yeah no definitely absolutely i mean the newspaper is it's fantastic and I'm proud of it, um, but it's a newspaper. The mission behind it for me is is so important. You know, for any child to think that they did something that made a difference, I think is, is so powerful. You know, and I, I, I look at the paper now and I think, you know, future prime ministers are probably reading First News right now, future lawyers, future doctors, future teachers – future anything. And I, I, I actually don't even call them children very often. I call them future adults um, because that's who they are, you know, and they are going to be the people that are running the country and running the world one day. And they need to feel that they need to hold on to that hope that they have as children and take that into their adult lives. 
What's been the most stressful period or stressful day on the job so far? What's tested your resolve the most in terms of, uh, you know, the, the thing overall? I think it is when terrorist attacks happen because it makes 24-7 headlines and it is horrific and frightening for all of us. Adults are jittery um, as well. And to try to kind of understand that and to acknowledge that, but at the same time to put it in context. And, you know, part of me wants to say this is never going to happen to you, but you can't say that absolutely categorically you know those children at the ariana grande concert um some of them were children who subscribed to the paper you know we we've we we know what schools they're from we know which schools subscribe and we know that they were readers it it makes you think a little bit harder about writing a piece that says the chances of this happening to you is so small you can't even calculate the risk when the girl that used to sit next to them in class was a victim so that's hard but it also um, it doesn't take away from the fact that that it is still true that although it was very close to home and it has closely affected some people and there's no words of comfort for them. But the reality is, you know, and you have to remember that it is so unlikely that any of us in our everyday lives are going to be touched by something that horrific. But it's a horrible story to have to cover and have to keep covering. Last question then. Um, obviously, global domination is within your sights. That's the, the next thing on the to-do list. But once you've achieved that and 20, 30, 50 years from now on, whenever you choose to stand down as editor and your replacement takes his or her reins, what advice would you give to them now if they're starting out in their career and they want to follow you in your footsteps as editor? What should they be doing? What shouldn't they be doing? They need to really dig deep and find out what their passion is. You know, my passion is, as you have heard, for journalism for children. But theirs might be sport or it might be entertainment or it might be politics. Whatever it is, really find out who you are, make, what makes you tick, because all that matters is authenticity. You know, you need to be real. Keep it real. Keep it real. Wow. Sage advice. Nikki, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. A Right Angles podcast in association with Big Things Media.